again, want to take some moments and pray for all those who have given their lives in service to our country to experience what we experience every day in our nation. We have a tremendous amount of freedoms in our land, even in the midst of all the challenges we face, so many freedoms that other countries would long to have, and that's come at a great sacrifice, and many of you have loved ones, family members, friends, and who've been not only giving themselves an active service, but perhaps have had those who've given their lives for the sake of our country. And so that's what this weekend's about, to pause, to remember. Jesus said this in John 15, greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. And uh, we as a nation, we have a debt of gratitude to offer up. So let's pray together. Jesus, we pause and remember this day and this weekend so many through the years who've literally laid their lives down that we might experience the land that we live in and all the freedoms that we get to have, even this freedom of gathering together in corporate worship. Uh, we don't want to take it for granted, Lord, and recognize of those who've given so much. And we pray your blessings over those families. Maybe this weekend is a time of uh, remembering some grief and some loss from a parent, a grandparent, a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter who've, who've given great sacrifice. We pray for those families. And then we think of all those who are actively serving now, some in this room, some joining us online in different parts of the world. Uh, thank you, Lord, for those who continue to serve and pray your blessings, covering, protection, May their lives be a radiant light to give favor to the work of their hands. And I think about, you know, when the first folks arrived on the shores of this country and they believed that this nation could be a city on a hill and that we would be a light in this world. And so I pray for our country. I pray that we'd humble ourselves under your mighty hand, that we would seek your face, that we would put our trust in the Lord. And I pray that you would raise up leaders who will lead and rule in righteousness. And help us as a church, Lord, to pray and to serve and support. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. Thanks for this time to gather together to open your word. I pray you'd bless us with ears to hear and hearts to receive. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome. Great to have you here in this room. Welcome to everyone joining us online as well. Can we put our hands together and welcome all the kiddos who are joining us today? Kids. Great to have children in the house, and normally a lot of these young ones are downstairs. Thanks to all you who serve in our children's ministry area. Such a big deal for us, investing in the next generation. And so we take weekends like this, and it helps uh, give some of our children's workers a bit of a break as they plan and prepare for the summer. It also gives an opportunity for families to worship together a bit. So I hope it's a blessing. And kids, I promise I'll try to keep the message moving for you. <laughs> we won't get too stalled out on a family worship day, but we're in this series. If you've got a Bible near you, and kids, I want to invite you, if you've got your Bible near you as well, to open it up to Judges chapter 6. So we're in this series called The With God Life, where we're journeying starting in Genesis and working our way through the larger storyline of God's Word. And we've come to a, a section that I think is represented um, by one of the emperors of Rome. So here's a picture of Marcus Aurelius. You may not know a lot about him. He's a very famous emperor. He reigned in Rome from 161 to 180. He was known as the last of the five good emperors. 
Now, if you have to label a group and put them in the category of the last good ones, that does that tell you about how there were 70 total emperors in Rome and only five good ones? May not be a place you want to move and raise your family. Are you with me? So, they said of Marcus Aurelius, he, during his whole reign, he continued to usher in Pax Romana, right, which is the peace and prosperity of the land, well-respected uh, leadership. And here's one of his quotes during his reign. He said this, the impediment to action advances action. What stands in the way becomes the way. What stands in the way becomes the way. Or maybe said more simply, the obstacle becomes the way. And that's the character we've come to in Judges chapter 6 as we're looking at something we've called spiritual Groundhog Day. Here's a picture of spiritual Groundhog Day. We've been looking at it for a few weeks now, right? It's the, the role that the Israelites had of maybe they've declared today's going to be a new day and we're going a new way, only to find that they go back to the old days and the old ways. Anybody been there? So it's the idea that you kind of repeat the messes of yesterday today. Even though you've got great passion and desire to go a new way, you seem to revert back to the old ways. And it's this cycle through the book of Judges that we see. And God raises up different kings, different judges, different leaders to break into this cycle, call them out of spiritual Groundhog Day. And the one we're looking at today is Gideon. And I want us to think about today uh, as perhaps living life on Gideon's graph, that we're going to plot some coordinates to life on Gideon's graph. And I think the subtitle might be, Gideon would, I think, echo Marcus Aurelius a bit there and say, the obstacle becomes the way. That's life on Gideon's graph. And here's the picture. His name means hacker or warrior. That should tell you how the story is going to go for him when that's your name, right? So here's, here's how he's introduced to us in chapter 6, verse 12. Gideon, right, was when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Underline that in your Bible. So, got, an angel comes to him, calls him mighty warrior. That's got to be an encouraging day, right? The Lord's with you, and you're mighty, and you're a warrior. But Gideon doesn't quite see it that way. When you're living life on the Gideon graph, you don't always see it the way God sees it, because he's looking at his circumstances and perhaps seeing something a little differently. Verse 13, but sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our father told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. So here's how you know you're maybe kind of plotting life on the Gideon graph right? And somebody today may be here in this room or joining us online, and you may feel like it's just one obstacle after another. You may feel like the impediment has become the life. You may have been using the language of, you know, I think I'm just going through a season. And then you recognize you go through so many seasons, you just go through one obstacle, one impediment, one challenge after another. You actually get to the point where you conclude, you go, no, I actually think this is my life. Is anybody there? That's life on the Gideon graph, and we're going to plot some coordinates on it where you just go, the obstacle seems to become the way, like the only way I know is just the next obstacle. And the coordinates go like this, all right, where absence is presence, where weakness is strength. 
and where reduction is preparation. There's coordinates on the Gideon graph. So, absence is presence. Do you know what? Did you follow? Like, the Lord says, hey, I'm with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon's perspective is, that doesn't, that doesn't add up. Because Gideon says, Lord, it seems you've abandoned us. So, he thinks God's like absent. He's not present because he's looking at his circumstances and he's seeing the Midianites. So, a little backstory on the Midianites. Earlier part of chapter 6, here's a little description about how Midian related to the Israelites. Here's some verbs used. Verse 2, they called the the Midianites were oppressive to the Israelites. Verse 3, invaded the country. Verse 4, ruined their crops. Verse 5, ravaged the land. Verse 6, impoverished the people. So there's your verbs, oppressive, invaded, ruined, ravaged, impoverished. That's everyday life for Gideon. You thought that was just you. You thought that was just your week, your month, your year. That's life on the Gideon graph. And he looks at the circumstances and he goes, but God, like, you're the one who freed us from slavery in Egypt. You remember Pharaoh had the iron grip, and you sent the plagues, and you parted the waters, and we're free. Uh, But God, you remember like Sinai, and when Moses was up, and you gave us the commandments, and but God, you remember Joshua taking us into this promised land, and driving out the ites in the land, and God, you parted the Jordans for us. Like, God, you've done these amazing things. You've demonstrated your power and authority. It's obvious who you are and the power that you possess. So he can't connect the dots to say, if God is with me, Gideon says, then why are the Midianites ravishing, impoverishing, taking over, controlling, oppressing us? And so what Gideon sees as absence, God's terminology is presence. It's where the Lord says, hey, I am with you, mighty warrior. So the Midianites are on the scene, not as a demonstration of the absence of God, but God is saying a demonstration of His loving presence. Because you remember the cycle that the Israelites go in? You know, they start going down the road where they're going to do what's right in their own eyes. They're like, yeah, we're going to do it our own way. And then it starts not going so well. And then God allows an oppressor like the Midianites to come in. And then they start crying out to the Lord like they're doing here in Judges 6. Like, oh, it's terrible. They're ravaging our crops. They're destroying our land. They're hurting us all across the scene. We want out. And God says, I hear your cry for help. And I'm going to insert a deliverer, in this case Gideon. And Gideon's going to call them out of this space. But the Midianites are actually a gift to turn their hearts back to the Lord. And and they can't see it. So, sometimes in our life, we're so overwhelmed with the physical circumstances, we can't see how God is coming to us in the midst of them. Anybody been there? Like, you're just so swallowed up with your current everyday life realities. Like, the coordinates on the Gideon graph are so prominent, you can't see how God is present with you on them. That's where Gideon is. And the first plotting line as you're plotting this graph would be like, maybe where I feel absence Maybe where you've been saying, where are you, Lord? I can't see you, Lord. I don't understand, Lord. What's all this about, Lord? Maybe that absence is presence. That's what Gideon's find. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now, let's see what happens. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, because Gideon's got the butt surge going on. He's not understanding. He says, the Lord says to him, go in the strength you have, verse 14, and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Verse 15, but Lord, you see, he's got a serious case of the, I don't know if you struggle with that at all, but sometimes when God comes to you and is pushing you to do something, like 
the first thing I can come up with are several reasons why I just don't think it's a great idea. Like, God, I trust you for who you are, but anybody been there where you just don't feel like the Lord's idea is like a really great idea? It just doesn't make sense to you. Notice how God doesn't seem to be addressing his concerns much. Have you found this with the Lord, like when you offer up excuses for obedience or excuses for surrender? God doesn't seem to kind of cater to those excuses much. That's not what I found anyway. He just seems to keep nudging me to just get to the point of surrender and obedience. And, you know, I've got the butt sirs and the butt lords going on. I've got all these lists of things. This is Gideon, and Gideon doesn't, he doesn't get a little answer to all of his concerns. He just, God just says, go in the strength you have. I'll be with you. You're going to rescue Midian out of your hands. But Lord, how can I save Israel? My clan, look, underline this, is the weakest in Manasseh, and I'm the least in my families. And the Lord answers, I'll be with you, and you'll strike down all the Midianites. So here's the second plot, right? So where absence is presence, weakness is strength. Notice for Gideon, right? Gideon's assessment of his life is weak and least. He's from the weakest in the family, the least in the family and weakest of clans. That's God's first rounder for draft pick right there. He's like, hey, weak, least, that's who I need. But so Gideon sees weak and least. He sees, why would you pick me? This doesn't make any sense. And God sees it as, Go in the strength you do have, and I'll be with you. And every time I hear this line from Gideon, I often think, I wonder if the Apostle Paul had this in mind when he was at the end of his rope in the New Testament. And Paul lived a very difficult life. He lived life on the Gideon graph. It was always absence, presence, reduction, and preparation. And I mean, this weakness is strength. This is Paul. This is how he said it. And we said before, like, he's found God's addresses at the end of your rope. That's Paul. He found this. 2 Corinthians 12, but he said to me, this is Paul speaking about Jesus speaking to him, my grace is sufficient for you because Paul was crying out for help, crying out to be healed. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. It was several years ago, we were playing, culture playing on a Thursday night down in Houston. And it was one of those games where when we have a night game and we're on the road, you basically spend all day in the hotel while all you are working, doing your day jobs. You come home ready to watch, you know, Thursday night football. We were hanging out in the hotel all day. We don't go over to the stadium until like five or six in the evening. And so usually you're just, for me as a chaplain, I'm just kind of hanging out in the food room. It's a good opportunity for me to interact with guys. Well, our starting quarterback comes into the food room, Matt Hasselback. And he looked nothing like a starting quarterback. He looked different shades of gray, beyond pale, had his hoodie up, pulled down. You could barely see. I mean, he looked like the classic phrase, death warmed over. That's what our starting quarterback looked like. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning. And he sat down at the breakfast table where I was at, and he wasn't eating anything. And he said, hey, I said, hey, you don't, you know, you're not looking so good here. And he said, I think I have a food poisoning. He, he ate something the previous day, and he says I, he was up all night throwing up. Uh, he can't keep anything down. And uh, so he was sitting there, and he, I mean, he just looked terrible. And he said, do you have, do you have like a, a passage of Scripture? You got a word from the Lord for me or something like? I'm sitting there, you know, eating my scrambled eggs and bacon and thinking about it. And 2 Corinthians 12 came to mind, this passage. So I read it to him, this one. Weakness and strength, and we can boast in that weakness. And, and Matt said to me, he said, hey, if God... If in the place of weakness, God's like saying that I'm going to be stronger than ever, he says, I'm about to have the best game of my career tonight. 
because I said, he said, I have no earthly idea how I'm going to play this game tonight. It's 8 o'clock in the morning, so 12 hours later, right, he's supposed to be starting a Thursday night football. So I'm praying for him through the day. We load up, get to the stadium, and we're warming out, out on the field. No, no starting quarterback and warm-ups. That's usually a, not a great sign. Like, none. He's in the training room getting four IVs on the table, laying in the training room. I didn't have any warm-ups at all. Everybody else is out there. So needless to say, what was my locker room prayer for us at that moment? 2 Corinthians 12, right? We're praying and trusting God for that. And then we run out onto the field and Hasselback's a laugh. They're just like pulling the IVs out of him as he's going out to play this game. And some of you may remember the game well. If you're tracking a Colts fan, you may remember this night well. You know, he played an amazing game, completed a pass to T.Y. near the end of the game to seal it. We win. And Matt was one of the first ones to come to the center of the field and to kneel and pray. You know, the 50-yard line prayer, both teams come together and pray. And so I'm kneeling there and praying. Matt comes to the circle and joins, and he kneels down, and he looks up at me, and he says, did we win? I said, Matt, we won. And he said, I had no idea. He said, literally, I've spent the last three and a half hours simply looking at my wristband, hearing the play in the ear, looking down, calling the play, execute the play, go to the next one, go to the next one, go to the next one. And he said it wasn't until this scene here, you guys remember Andrew was hurt during that stretch, here's the scene, Andrew Luck comes up to him at the end of the game and hugs him, he said that's the only, he says I didn't realize that we actually won until you guys at, off the side came and like started hugging. And if Matt were here today, I think he would testify to some measure of this Gideon graph principle, 2 Corinthians 12, that in this place of weakness, there's really no explanation apart from Christ's power being exalted in his weakness than that. Then maybe the Lord seeing his mighty warrior, and he definitely would have felt weakest and least of any to play a professional football game. And I think for many of us, if you've never been in that place before, then just keep living because God seems to like that address. He seems to like the coordinates on the map of weak and least where you're at the end of your own rope because perhaps God stands tallest when we're feeling lowest. I've often wondered that. Like, does God just seem bigger and stronger and taller and more glorious when we're in our place. So I think something in this is happening with Gideon. That the explanation for Gideon of weakness and strength is who's with him. Did you catch that? The Lord's with you, mighty warrior. Like the Lord being with him is the explanation for the strength that he has. Not because Gideon possesses anything. It's because the Lord being with the man who already knows he's weak and he's least. And so this is when you know you're living life on the Gideon graph, when you may be looking at your circumstances and it seems like it's just absence. Where is God? He's not being responsive and attentive to my needs. The Midianites are impoverishing and ravaging and evading and oppressing, and it makes no sense to you. And you feel like God's just checked out. Absence is presence. And then secondly, perhaps you're staring at circumstances where you feel more weak and powerless than ever. And God says right there can be a place of great strength, not because of who you are, but because of the one who is with you. So Gideon, now picture Gideon. He was just going about his chores, threshing wheat. Like on a, he, was just thre he was just going about his everyday chores. An angel of the Lord shows up, changed the whole trajectory of his life. And so it's Gideon, put yourself in his shoes. So 
in his weakness, in his least state, he steps out and starts doing what the Lord asked him to do. So he goes and he takes the Baal altars and he starts smashing them. And he tears down the Asherah poles. How do you think that went over with the people? Now, for some, they might have been delighted because they were on, you know, Yahweh's train. But a good portion of them were caught up. God was transitioning His people from life with God's, little g, to life with God, capital G. That's what's going on here. He's like trying to get, kind of wean them off the life with God's and get them to have a reverence and a devotion to life with God. And so, Gideon's helping him on that project. Way to go, Gideon. And then the people, like, they're all asking. They go to his dad's house. They're like, where's Gideon? We want to kill him. Wow, that's going well. So there's another way you're on the Gideon grab. You know you're living life. Absence is presence, weakness and strength. You step out. You're following God. You're doing what he's asking you to do. And it seems as if the graph just keeps going down and to the right. Anybody living down and to the right? And the steepness of the down and to the right. It seems as if every step he took, the graph got steeper to the right the wrong direction. This Gideon, he's doing what God asks. He tears down the Asherah pole. They're all upset. Smashes the ball. They're all upset. They go to dad's house. Where's Gideon? We want to bring him out here in the streets. We want to take care of him. <laughs> and then God's, God doesn't seem to address the issue. He just says, hey, Gideon, you know, like just keep going in the strength that you do have. Hey, we got to deal with the Midianites. Don't worry about it. He's got issues from within the Israelite camp. Don't forget he's got couple hundred thousand Midianites ready to wipe them out. That's the main issue at hand. It's like, don't worry about the Israelites, deal with the Midianites. So this gets into our third principle. So Gideon just keeps doing what the Lord wants him to do, even though it's down and to the right. He's probably looking at it, he goes, man, I wish I would have sent my brother to do the chores that day. The whole thing changed because I met an angel of the Lord just asking me to, just down and to the right. Absence is presence, weakness is strength. And now reduction is preparation. So here's chapter 7, verse 2. This is probably the most famous section that Gideon is known for when God is trying to size up his army to go into battle with the Midianites. God has a little different view, shocking, of how he might want to approach this battle. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. Now, that's not very often. Right there, that's not a common way for battle. I don't know many military leaders that have said to their commanding, right, president or troops, we just got too many. Mm, I don't think so, but that's God's view for me to deliver Midian into their hands. And listen to this, in order that Israel may not boast against me that her own strength has saved her. That's a really important line. Verse 3, announce now to the people, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So, 22,000 men left. That is not encouraging. Those of you leading, how would that day be for a leader? So you're ready to take, you're going to this big battle. You've got what you thought were your troops. Everybody's kind of ready. We're ready. It's go time. You're in the foxhole together. And then God says, okay, give the guys an out. Give your get. If you want to turn around and go back, you're free to do that. And I'm sure Gideon's thinking, okay, we might have a few on the fringes, you know. 22,000. Just turn around and go the other way. This is not unfolding at all. I picture he's like, what in the world is happening? I thought it was us, we together. We're going to take this hill together. No, peace out. I'm tapping out. I'm, I'm out. I'm out. Hey, this is, you're somebody feeling like that today, living on the Gideon graph. You feel like you're out there at the front. You're trying to move things forward, trying to call people to take the next hill. And you turn around and you go, where'd everybody go? And it's Gideon. 
22,000. So he's only got 10,000 left. Verse 4, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Seriously, take them down to the water, and I will sift them for you there. If you say, this one shall go, he shall go. If I say, this one shall not go, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues like a dog from those who kneel down to drink. The Lord's ways are not like our ways, church, right? So, right, I, I, how the Lord picked, he's just got a system. He's like, this is how we're going to figure it out. 300 men lapped with their hands to their mouths. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the other men go. So here's the, here's the principle. Reduction is preparation. Here's how you know you're living life on the Gideon, right, on the Gideon graph. Because the battle got larger before there was breakthrough. Anybody been there? As you're living life down and to the right, it seems as if the circumstances and the battle gets larger before the breakthrough comes. That's life on the Gideon graph right there, where absence is presence, weakness and strength, and reduction is preparation. If it was overwhelming to think about taking on the Midianites with 32,000, how do you think it fills with 300? There you go. Welcome to life in Gideon's world. And you know you're living in this space like in our lives today, some of you going through tremendous grief and loss in your own world. You said goodbye to a loved one recently, only to be thrust into a sequence of grief and loss with friends, fam additional family members. Like some of you are just dealing with a whole string of grief and loss. It's this reduction. It's like just when you get through one memorial service, you're thrust into another one and another one, and you just feel like all around your life, it's just reduction and subtraction and stripping down, that's this principle. For others of you, it's caring for an aging parent while dealing with a prodigal child, while simultaneously dealing perhaps with some health issues for yourself. And you look at all these things converging, you're like, I'm trying to take care of mom and dad, I'm trying to help my prodigal child, and I'm trying to respond to this doctor's report. That's the Gideon principle. For In the marketplace setting, it's it's when your manager comes to you and it's in the most critical path of the project and says, here's your new date for deliverable, here are your new numbers to hit, and by the way, the executives just cut back the workforce by 15, 20%. That's that. It's the Gideon principle. It's life on the Gideon graph. It's where it just keeps going like that. It's where you go from 32,000 down to 10,000 down to 300, and God says, okay, we're good, 300, let's go. And you say, what is all this about? Why does God seem to value seasons of life where we hit this down, where the obstacle becomes the way? And He gave us a little window into it, right? When I emphasized it back in verse 2 of chapter 7, when He said, what would happen if He didn't have them on this line? What did He say they would do when they, they would pound their chest and, and take the glory? So, language I wrote down, it seems as if this is one way God combats self-reliance and self-promotion. He seems to keep us on the line where absence is presence, weakness is strength, and reduction is preparation. He keeps us where the obstacle is the way so that we don't lose sight of the dependence we're to have upon the Lord that there's some propensity in the human condition that wants to grab the glory and steal the spotlight and pound the chest and point to the finger and point to the name on the back of the jerk. What is all of that? That's what he's saying. Hey, you know, one way he keeps whittling away at that is he invites you to life on the Gideon graph down and to the right. 
Because you're living life on that line and breakthrough comes, well, there's really only one way to point when the breakthrough does come because you know, as Gideon's going to find out here, right, if the 300 end up wiping out the Midianites, Gideon's only commentary, it had to be the Lord, which was God's point all along the way. And so, let's see what happens now. He goes and he gives them the plan. Picture that meeting. He pictured Gideon with the 300, right? All of them sitting around and the 300 probably like, hey, get it. Where, where's everybody else? This is it. This is what we've got. <laughs> Here's the plan. 300 going into battle. And then verse 15, he comes and he says this, gets the troops together. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, get up. The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. This is speaking to the 300. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed, get this, trumpets and empty jars into the hands of all of them with torches inside. Now, that's not your traditional military garb. <laughs> Watch me, he told them, verse 17, follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. So here's the battle plan, church. Do you get it? The battle plan from the Lord is select the weakest family member from the least clan named Gideon. Zero experience in any of this space. Strip his army down from 32,000 to 300. Arm all his soldiers with empty jars and trumpets, and then send them to the edge of the camp, have them blow their horns and start worshiping at the top of their lungs. That's the battle plan. God's ways are not like, come on, church, that's not, are you kidding me? That's how he's sending them in? Empty jars and trumpets? I don't know if you've hung out, like military guys, hey, you military guys in the room, picture how it would be if the commanders came to you and said, hey, we're going to put the musicians at the front to lead us. Now, we love you musicians. We love our artists, but generally military skill and artistry and musicianship, they don't tend to intersect really well. Are you with me? Like you military guys would be like, that trumpet player out there, he's going to get slaughtered out front. Can you picture him saying that? No, they're the one, they're leading the way. We got to have the trumpets and the flute players, and they got the empty jars, they've got the instruments, they're singing, great are you, Lord, worthy of praise. They're doing that at the front, and we'll, the Lord's going to come through. That's like when the Gideon grab. Nothing about this makes sense. And for some of you this morning, that's a commentary on your life right now. For some of you, this is life with God for you. Perhaps in your own spiritual Groundhog Day scenario, maybe this is one way God's breaking in. Or perhaps it's just life on the Gideon graph. You're just finding it down and to the right and to the right, where absence is presence, where weakness is strength, where reduction is preparation, where God keeps chiseling away at this propensity for self-reliance and self-promotion, where the obstacle becomes the way. This is not Marcus Aurelius's Roman Empire way. This is Yahweh's way. And he invites us in. Join Gideon on this journey. Because what Gideon finds is what we'll find. It wasn't so much what they were taking into the battle 
that was going to differentiate them. Track with me now. It wasn't what you were taking in. They didn't have all armed up. They got trumpets and empty jars, for goodness sake. It wasn't what they had with it. It's who was with them. You follow me? You missed that whole point. I got to say that one again because I think this is really important. It wasn't what they had in their hands. It wasn't the weapons they took into their battle. It was who was with them. That was going to differentiate. God said, I'll be with you. Remember, he told Gideon, hey, go in the strength you have. I know it's weak. I know it's least. I know you feel unqualified. I know this battle plan makes no sense to you. Go with what you do have. Empty jars and trumpets and flute players. Go with that. Don't worry about it because Yahweh is with you. The God who parted the Red Sea, who parted the Jordan Rivers, who met Moses on the mountaintop, that God is with you, and he'll deal with the Midianites. They're just going to be another item. We'll deal with them. Remember the Hittites, the Jebusites, the Hivites, all those? Remember all those otherites? Midianites are going to join them. Trust me, let's go. And as the story unfolds, that's indeed what happens. For the Lord and for Gideon. And they defeat the entire Midianite camp with their 300 and their flutes and their trumpets and their empty jars. And at the end of the day, spiritual Groundhog Day kind of gets stopped there and says, we need to go back to Yahweh. He's our God. Break through the cycle again. And maybe that's where this morning finds you. Maybe God has you here today listening to this today to simply say, maybe it's being less preoccupied with what you have in the midst of your battle, and maybe this morning is lifting up your eyes and saying, who is with me in it? So worship team, why don't you come on up? We're going to take a few minutes here. I felt led in preparing this morning that I just felt like we needed a little time to give some folks an opportunity to respond who may be just feeling the weight of life on the Gideon graph. You feel like the coordinates are spot on with you. You're like, man, that's like a plot line for my life. Weakness is strength, absence is presence, reduction, preparation. Like, that's, that's my mail right now. Okay. Then I want to invite you with your empty jars. And we'll let these trumpet players and flute players help us out. And here's what we're going to do in a sense with whatever battle you're facing. We're going to put the worship of the Lord at the front of the line. And uh, we've got a little, some prayer benches set up here on the sides. They're open every week. You can use them anytime you want to in the course of the service. But this morning, I just felt like, hey, maybe this is a Sunday where some of you come in feeling in that space of, I don't understand, Lord. It doesn't make sense, Lord. I don't know how much more I can take, Lord. I don't know where you are, Lord. That this is space for you. By you coming, you know, C.S. Lewis said, what we do with our body affects our soul. And I think sometimes with our bodies, we just sometimes have to kind of get up and come and kneel somewhere. It's, like a, it's just like a way of saying before the Lord, like, I'm just in a, a deeper place of surrender in all this, how desperately I need you more than ever. Maybe in a place of weakness where you just need God to breathe some strength into you, you feel more at the end of your rope than you felt in a long time, I just want to invite you to come and kneel. And maybe you come in and you're just like, I don't know if I can take one more plot on the downward to the right journey. It's just reduction and stripping away and subtraction and come and kneel and say, Lord, I'm at the end of my rope. And I'm going to trust that I'll find what Gideon found. That the Lord said, I'll be with you. Go in the strength you do have. Even if it's weak and least. And find the Lord will be with you.
And so during this song, I'm going to invite you to stand after I pray here. And then uh, as we stand and worship, you come and kneel and pray if you'd like to. Just your own space. And the team's just going to kind of lead through. Let this song, in a sense, be our weapons that we move and fight into these battles with. Let's pray together. Jesus, just thinking about life on this Gideon graph, we confess so much of it doesn't make sense to us. And I pray you'd lift up our eyes, help us to see what Gideon saw, that greater is he that's in us than he that's in the world. And breathe hope, breathe life, breathe strength, breathe help, breathe your perspective. May we have a tangible experience through these next few moments that maybe what has felt like absence is your loving presence. I will be with you. We cling to that. In Jesus' name, amen.